It's nice to be here. As Brad has said, I live in Delco, been married um, for 25 years, and as I said about that Indian, married for 25 years, so we had an arranged marriage, so we're going to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary next month. So if you ever want to know, if you ever want to know what arranged marriage is like, I'll tell you, it's worked out really well. My wife is still on the fence. <laughs> She's still trying to figure this one out. So I know you've been going through a bit of a series on underdogs, and I must say I love underdogs. Now, among other things, I come from this land of a billion people called India. And one of the things that we often entertain ourselves with are these things called Bollywood movies. And you know, you know the typical story of a Bollywood movie lends itself to an underdog. This is how it works. Poor, not so good looking guy falls for really beautiful, rich girl with a really powerful dad. <laughs> of course, the dad doesn't like it, so the dad sends a couple of people to beat up this boy. And there's one fight, and the boy goes away. And he hits it big. And he comes back. And then he goes to the, to the woman and says, you're coming with me. And of course, the dad sends more people to beat him up. But by this time, the underdog is strong. And he beats him up. I mean, 20, 30, 40 of them. You keep them coming. And he's beaten them. And then he rides off into the sunset. And don't miss this. The final part. There's always a tree. And music appears out of nowhere. <laughs> and the woman changes clothes 12 times. And it's one dance. And they live happily ever after. This is why I love underdogs. I love underdogs because we're in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of underdogs, right? You cannot forget that moment when nine seconds are left for the game. Brady throws his Hail Mary. Apologies to Catholics. <laughs> and Gronk misses, and we are the champions. Which, by the way, is a song, if you didn't know, was written by an Indian. For those of you who don't know, Farooq Balsara, also known as Freddie Mercury, wrote that song. So now you see why we are the champions and the underdog is so personal to me. I also love the story of an underdog because I am an immigrant. I came here about 27 years ago with 20 bucks in my pocket. And I have to tell you, I didn't give myself enough of a reason or a chance to survive. Henry, who's at the back, Henry was the one through whom I came here. I remember the first night after I went, uh, went out, cold winter morning, right after the Redskins had won the Super Bowl in 1992, and that was confusing. I didn't understand why Americans call that football. Didn't see much of the foot, didn't see much of the ball. But I told Henry, I said, just give me a ticket. I want to go back home. Because I didn't think I could fit in. You see, the truth of it is we are all underdogs at some point in our lives. The greater thing of this is the Bible that we study is the story of underdogs. People who no one ever wanted to succeed, but they succeeded. As a matter of fact, one of the things that is said about Jesus, whom we worship, is this. He who was rejected 
The stone that the builders rejected has become our cornerstone. So the Bible is the story of underdogs. It is our story, and it is a story that you and I are called to as Christians, as people of God, as people created by God. You see, I don't know if you've noticed, each of us is unique. There's a gentleman out here, he's got something on his head, it's called hair. I don't know what that is, but we are both unique. We're both unique. We're created in God's image, and we are the underdogs. And I want to tell you the story of an underdog. The story of an underdog in Scripture that most people often kind of gloss over because his story seems to be a part of somebody else's story, and that's something we see about underdogs. You see, they're not supposed to be the main guy. They're not the main act. There's always someone who's more powerful, so much better, so much more smarter, and so much more good-looking who's always the main dog. But the underdog comes through because God invests in the underdog. And I'm going to read a part of the scripture, but I'm not going to tell you the whole story in scripture, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. It's a story about a guy called Caleb. Now, Caleb was one of two guys, if you don't know the story, that was sent by Moses into a land that they called the promised land. And they were supposed to come back and give a report, you know, kind of like spies. And if you're somewhat inclined towards the news, you know that that's a bit of part of our news these days. All right, and I'll leave it at that. But there were these spies and they were supposed to come back and they were supposed to say, what is this land all about? And then they come back. They come back and then they see, they tell Moses, it's a fantastic land. It's a beautiful land. Oh, it would be so good if we got it. But you know what? This is what 10 of them said. We're not good enough. We're not good enough. And there are two of them who said, but we can do it. So one of those guys was this guy called Caleb, and the other guy was Joshua. Now, the story is about the end of his life, so I'm kind of going to go into the bookends of his life. The first part, what I told you, the second part is what I'm going to read to you, where Caleb goes up to now this guy called Joshua, and he said, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me, and he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Then he said, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. And then Moses swore to me saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke to Moses. And then he goes on to say, Give me now this hill country of which the Lord spoke of on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, store, Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Then it says, Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. And I love the last line of that passage. And it says, and the land had rest from war. So I'm going to talk to you about Caleb. Now, just a quick show of hands. Anyone here who's got the name Caleb? Anyone with a father or a son with the name Caleb? Okay, that's good. <laughs> 
If you have a brother or a friend with the name Caleb, what I'm about to tell you, you can use against. <laughs> now, Caleb is a very interesting name. Caleb is a name that actually means, believe it or not, dog. That's one of the interpretations of the name. But another meaning is wholehearted. You know, they're very wholly committed to you. So I'm going to go through a bit of a structure here and tell you a story about, about Caleb. The first part of the story is about who Caleb is. The second part of it is about what his family was all about. The third part of it was about his character. And the fourth one, about his faithfulness and perseverance. So we'll go through all of this in the short time that we have. A few years ago, I was in South Africa. And listening to this guy who some of you have probably heard of. His name was Desmond Tutu. So right after I heard him speak at the University of Cape Town, I went to the restroom. And sure enough, there was a guy in the next stall talking loudly, laughing loudly, and out comes Bishop Desmond Tutu. Waited till we both washed hands, you know, we're hygienic people. <laughs> we shook hands, and of course, you know, he's busy. And I said to him, just one question, Bishop Tutu. What made you stick with it? What made you stick with it? And he said, young man, I cannot do that accent. But you get the idea. Just picture that. Truth can never be suppressed for a long time. Truth can never be suppressed for a long time. Here's Caleb. His name means dog. The story of an underdog. It's a story of his identity. This is who he was born as. He was born as a guy. I mean, those of you who have kids, you might name them Caleb, but would you name them Dog? Now, we don't know this, the entire thing because, you know, there's a bit of, you know, you can actually look at that me name in many ways. And, you know, people who've gone to seminary will tell you that. But we see this name coming over and over again. And this is what I want to tell you. Your identity at birth does not define you. Your identity at birth does not define you. It does not matter if you were like Bishop Tutu, a part of the oppressed people in South Africa. That may have been their identity, but that identity does not define you because the truth and the will of God can never be suppressed. In the end, the underdog comes out because that is who God created him or her to be. We've often seen this in our own lives. We look at the circumstances of our existence, the circumstances of our life. We feel powerless. We feel like we're nobody. We feel like we cannot amount to anything. And then we give ourselves the identity. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the identity that God has for you. He has something bigger. He has something better. He has something greater. And what he has for you, if you are willing to let him do it, will blow your mind. The second thing. It is... That the acceptance of grace is necessary to the fulfillment of our destiny. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you look at that passage in Numbers chapter 14, where the soldiers go out, it says that here was Caleb, who was, they say, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Now, if you begin to unpack that, 
you begin to realize that the Kenizzites were never really a part of Israel. That's the funny part. As a matter of fact, look at the promise that God gave Abraham. And this is the promise. He said, you will get the land of the Kenizzites among other people. How did this guy, who was not even a part of the original covenant, become a part of this tribe called Judah? Bible doesn't tell us, but we do know this. He was representing the tribe of Judah when they went into the promised land. You see, many times we might see this over and over again in our lives. We are in places we don't deserve. I mean, I look back at my life. I've seen, I've worked in healthcare, I've worked in banking, and I've seen what happens to people when one major incident happens. People's lives get destroyed. Our lives, you know, many times we have to understand that it's only one event that sometimes keeps us from things getting worse. And some of us are there. But it is not the circumstances that define it because by the grace of God, He has chosen us. And that's what Paul reminds us. He chose the weak of the world to confound the wise. You know, I like that word confound. It says, it basically means He took the weak of the world to blow the minds of the wise. Blows their minds. I grew up, as Brad said, in Kolkata. And a very famous person who lived in Kolkata was the name uh, Mother Teresa. was a person, Mother Teresa. When I was in high school, I got to work with her. Amazing woman. But here's how her story starts. She starts this first home called Nirmal Hude, Tender Heart. Right next to the most famous temple in Calcutta called the Kali Temple. Now, Kolkata, for those of you interested in history, comes from the word Koli Katha, which is the abode of the goddess Kali. That is a name of the city that is now Kolkata. Now, imagine the, the temple to the goddess Kali was where Mother Teresa, right next to it was where Mother Teresa set up her home. Day in, day out, they had stones thrown at them, they had abuses hurled at them. She just kept going because all she wanted to do was let people who were dying die with dignity. And one day, there was a certain priest from the temple. He had contracted some illness where his whole body was full of sores. And they threw him out of the temple. He lay there, and for those of you who've not seen Indian summer, let me tell you something. This is nothing. <laughs> this is nothing. We have summer. <laughs> and here was this man dying on the streets, thirsty, and they said with maggots crawling out of his wounds. Sorry, didn't mean to gross you out, but that's what happened. Mother Teresa goes, picks him up, cleans every wound one by one, takes him to her home, lets him have a dignified death, and allows him to have not a Christian burial, but a Hindu cremation. The grace that she began to display in that act 
changed the minds of people around her. She was not meant to be at Kali's temple, but the grace that she displayed made her accepted as one. And in many cases, while we do not know the entire history of Caleb, I have to ask myself this simple question. What made Caleb accepted? And it was grace. The next thing I want to tell you is this. The label of the underdog should never take away from the grace and humility that comes with what God has promised. Now remember what I said. Joshua and Caleb went into the land together. They both came back with the same report. But we see something else happening. We see Moses promoting Joshua and Caleb is barely mentioned. As a matter of fact, between the bookends of these two chapters, Numbers 14, where we are first introduced to Caleb, and then Joshua 14 from the passage that I read, Caleb is mentioned four times. Four times. Joshua, on the other hand, is mentioned 25 times. And if that wasn't enough salt on the wound, the guy gets a book to himself. <laughs> but Caleb does not forget what he has been called for, what he has been called to. You see, in the end, it is the grace of Caleb that displays, or the grace that Caleb understood that displays the humility of Caleb. The underdog understands grace. The underdog is humble. Now, at this point, it's probably fair to ask a simple question, a couple of questions. Where is Jesus in this story? Where is Jesus in this story? You see, Jesus was born in humble circumstances and then went on to die, be condemned as a petty thief and died on the cross for us. This is the Son of God. The same God who showed grace and humility. The second question that we need to ask is, where am I in this story? Is this my story? Do I see a part of Caleb in my own life? Do I see the fact that maybe I wasn't, when I was born, destined for greatness? Maybe, you know, maybe I, I, I don't fit in. God says, no, you do. You know why? Because you're mine. Because you're mine. And in this point, we see something that I've often been interested in. It's called the idea of a mindset. What made Caleb so confident about the future? You see, there's a, guy, there's a woman called Carol Dweck, and I've been a big fan of her work, where she begins to talk about the idea of a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The fixed mindset says, things are what they are. It is what it is. It will always be what it will be. So the fixed mindset looks at a community and says, things haven't changed in 20 years. Things are not going to change in the next 20. I have not been able to make an impact in 10. I am not going to make an impact in the next 10. Ah, this is who I am. Poor me. Look at me. I'm nobody. The growth mindset says, no, 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 no. That is not true. The growth mindset says, no, there is potential. Potential. Many times it is what you decide to make of it with what you have been given. And it's important to realize that. It doesn't mean I am not one of those people who says you can be anything you can be. Because if you ever saw me in a basketball court, you'd know that's not true. <laughs> I'm from India. We don't dunk. 
If you see me on a football field, spiral, what's a spiral? We don't know. You see, it's about taking what we've been given and then applying it into the mindset. Into the mindset that God has given us. And finally, the move from underdog to big dog comes with perseverance and faithfulness. I have to read this part because it's so funny. See, there's this part where, and I'm going to go back to where we started. Or maybe it's somewhere here. I'll come to it in a moment. It says, it describes Joshua in Joshua 14 as a guy who's now tired and old. Now, if you look at the timeline, 40 years in the wilderness, right? It says, Caleb, he said, I'm now, it's been 45 years since we were sent out in the wilderness. I was 40 then, so here's Caleb, he's 85. We can probably assume that Joshua is about the same age, you know? I mean, somewhere, give or take. But it contrasts two people. It says Joshua, who's like, I'm tired. I've been leading these people. I am tired. Bring out the golf cart. <laughs> Bring out the golf cart. And Caleb's like, are you kidding me? I am just about to get going. I am just about to get going. It says in Joshua 13, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet much land to be possessed. And Joshua's like, time out. I'm going to sit down. And Caleb's like, no, we're not done. And Caleb then goes up to Joshua and says, I want this land for an inheritance. And it's fascinating. If you look at that passage, and, and I like these kind of intricacies in, in Scripture, where Joshua actually gets an inheritance before the tribe of Judah, who he represented in Numbers 14, gets an inheritance. And he goes and asks for this land. He says, I want you to give me the land of the children of Anak or the Anakites. Now, when you study scripture, it kind of comes full circle because in November, in, in November, Numbers 14, in Numbers 14, they go and see the children of the Anakites in the promised land. And this is what the other ten come back and tell them. Basically says, they are big, they are tall. And this is the verse that defines their perspective. And we would have seemed as grasshoppers to them. Now, remember, they didn't call the Israelites grasshoppers. This is the fixed mindset at work. We seemed like grasshoppers. And that is the land that Caleb says, you know what? That's where we started. That's where I'll end. I am not ready to give up. It doesn't matter what my name meant. It doesn't matter whether I was not supposed to fit in. It doesn't matter if I was a forgotten guy during all these years. I will never forget the place that we are supposed to get. And in doing so, the greatest testimony comes up, which is, and the land had rest from war. You know another word for that? The land had peace. When Caleb goes and takes the land, it is not just about taking the land. It is about bringing the witness of God into that land, which is the witness of peace. 
Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It follows you. For those of you who think that the Christian walk is about goodness and peace always going before you, you're reading it wrong. It follows you when mosaic comes into West Philadelphia. Its fruit is goodness and peace. You see that? As you invest your lives, your fruit is goodness and peace. It is the idea of bringing peace that God calls you and I, His community, into communities such as this. And by the way, not just West Philadelphia, South Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, Center City. It doesn't matter where we are called to. But when we are called, we are called to bring the peace of God into our communities. And we are instruments of that peace. I love that t-shirt, trust the process. Because what God is telling us today is to trust his process. It's not where we want it to be. But it is. It is how he has planned it. It doesn't seem like things are going right, but that's okay. Trust the process. It doesn't always seem like we are getting the, the accolades we deserve, the recognition we deserve. It's okay being number two because God is telling you to trust the process. I come from Kolkata and there was another person called William Carey. who's a famous missionary who lived there many years ago. He was actually rejected by the missionaries because he was a cobbler. He was a cobbler. They said, you're not smart enough for us. You didn't go to seminary like Brad did. <laughs> Just kidding. You can't go. And he moves to Kolkata, to West Bengal, translates the Bible. The seemingly illiterate man translates the Bible into more languages than anyone had that time. Sets up the first theological university in India. Is one of the instrumental people to go against social evils such as bride burning or widow burning that was prevalent in India. Can you imagine what would have happened if William Carey had said, I guess I'm not good enough. The big guys at the Baptist Mission Society said I wasn't good enough. But he was. Test God and see. The underdog is a story of us because like the prodigal son, we need to come home to the father who sees beyond our underdog status. It is a calling that I wish we had. I have to tell you this. I'm about to be 52 and I don't get it all the time. I don't get it all the time. Most of the time, as a matter of fact, you know, the, the idea of, of self-hate is almost like Linus's blanket on me. I enjoy it. Oh, poor me. What am I going to do? Not good enough. But it's important that you and I begin to realize the calling of our destiny. So let me leave you with the lines from a very famous philosopher. His name, Christopher Robin. <laughs> Promise me you'll always remember he says this to Winnie the Pooh. Promise me you'll always remember that you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think. That's what God tells us. One final story.
story said, of course, it's a mythical story, I think. Story said about a certain eagle who somehow falls from the nest and finds itself among a bunch of chickens. And it grows up thinking it's a chicken. Flaps its wings like a chicken. Tries to make those noises like a chicken. And one fine day, the eagle looks up and he sees in the sky, I'm assuming it's a he, sees in the sky a majestic eagle flying. And the eagle looks at that eagle and says, I look more like that than like this. And says the eagle spread out its wings and it began to fly. Soared above the heights. Looked down at the chickens and said, bye-bye. My point is this. Never, ever short sell who God has made you to be. Never, ever think less of what you are called to. Never, ever compromise that you're only supposed to do this and not more. You see, we have a God of infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite grace, and infinite strength who is willing to stretch you in as much as you are willing to let him stretch you. It's not going to be easy. But in the end, you will end up in a place where it will be boldly said of you, and the land had rest from war. God bless you all.